The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, welcome to our Dharma Practice Day. And uh, some of you have been here before. For the ones of you who haven't been here before, the Dharma Practice Days are days for us to practice with the Dharma in a variety of different ways. People often associate practice with meditation, but actually, in fact, uh, in Buddhism, um, the word practice or bhavana includes any kind of, uh, any activity in which you're able to cultivate and develop yourself in the Dharma. And there are many different uh, aspects of our being, of our, who we are, that get developed. And, um, and so it's much more than just about meditation itself. And so here's an opportunity to explore different topics, to practice in maybe different ways. Um, and Dharma practice days are meant to be uh, personal because the Dharma is meant to be personal. Uh, we're, we're meant to personalize the Dharma, make it our own, um, uh, discover the value it has for our, in ourselves and our lives to improve and make our lives better. And hopefully in, in that way also improve the lives of others. So it's meant to be a kind of involved in some kind of personal transformation or change. And um, one of the best ways to do that is to really be engaged personally in the process. So, um, um, Inez and I today will say a few things about the topic of wisdom. And then we will uh, have a number of um, kind of exercises to do, topics, explorations, to help you get, in, get into it in a more personal way. Um, and some of this, uh, hopefully, hopefully all of it, will be challenging to you in a good way. Because if you're not challenged, how are you going to grow in the Dharma? Um, challenged means many different things, but something that's kind of encourages to look more deeply, practice more deeply, discover more deeply something about yourself and move on with this process of, of deep transformation that's possible for each of us. Um, the, um, so, um, and part of, the, part of the value of these kinds of days of practicing this way is that a lot of it will be interactive with other people in the group here so that um, you're not only developing your own practice, but you're also doing it in relationship to other people and developing uh, uh, practice relationships with other people. Maybe uh, practice friendships, a sense of being part of a community of people practicing. And this is a very important part of Buddhist practice, a sense of being connected um, to other practitioners. We don't just do this alone. Even though it's personal, it's not done in isolation. So, um, uh, the topic for this year is the perfections, um, the paramis or the paramitas, and these are ten uh, qualities of, or aspects of character that get cultivated and developed that support uh, Buddhist practice. And um, the stronger these qualities are, uh, the more they become a foundation or, or a support for uh, whatever Buddhist practice you're doing. And um, so these are things like generosity and uh, ethical integrity, uh, capacity to let go well in a healthy way, uh, today's wisdom, then um, there is uh, energy or effort engaging, there is patience, if you're going to engage you have to be patient, <laughs> and then um, there's uh, truthfulness, really key thing. The more truthful you can be, of course you're all truthful, right? But uh, maybe there's greater levels of truthfulness to encounter as we go along here. So the perfection of truthfulness. Uh, then there's um, resolve. There's loving kindness. There's equanimity. These are the ten. And over the course of the year we're exploring these ten. And today the topic is wisdom. And you think wisdom should be at the end. But uh, wisdom is needed all along to help and cultivate and develop uh, all the different aspects of the pra practice. And um, wisdom has um, you know, really a, a really key 
um, piece in Buddhism. Buddhism is often seen as a wisdom tradition. And the perfection of wisdom, the, the parami of wisdom, uh, is elevated to such a lofty status in Buddhism sometimes that it's uh, sometimes considered to be the mother of all the Buddhas. Um, Buddhahood or full awakening arises out of wisdom. And uh, so more important than a Buddha is wisdom because a wisdom is what gives birth to the Buddha and uh, or to someone who's awakened. And you find sometimes these beautiful statues in Mahayana Buddhism of the perfection of wisdom as a mother, as a great bodhisattva, as a great being. Quite elegant, uh, beautiful, uh, dignified, noble um, statue of a, of a woman. They have it uh, enshrined at the Spirit Rock Meditation Center in the medita- upper meditation hall. They have next to the Buddha, they have um, seated a statue of uh, Prajna Paramita, the perfection of wisdom. Um, <clears throat> the word wisdom, uh, the word wisdom is Panya in Pali, Prajna in Sanskrit. And it's translated sometimes other ways into English. In some situations, I prefer the translation insight <clears throat> because wisdom, in my, mind, in my mind, sometimes has the connotations of knowledge. If you, can, if you understand something, you have knowledge about something, then you're wise about it. And so what's the right knowledge? Find, let's, you know, I'll get a lot of wisdom by reading a lot of books, and then I'll be infinitely wise. But... Um, uh, it's not, you know, certainly that's an important part of wisdom is to have understanding and knowledge. But it's, that's not, you know, what's going to get you liberated. Um, and so uh, an in, the word insight implies something you see now. <clears throat> if you have insight into something, it means, uh, I, I associate that with immediacy. And so it's not something you carry with you like knowledge, like you have a rep- repertoire of knowledge. But it's something you're actively doing now. You're seeing in a deep, clear, penetrating way. So sometimes I like the word insight because of the immediacy of seeing what's here. It's not borrowed knowledge or learned lar- knowledge. It's not applying some understanding on a situation, but rather the situation reveals uh, the, what's there and the truth that's there. Some people have translated it as discernment, and that also has the benefit of uh, being something immediate. Uh, you don't have discernment in the abstract. You know, you, I was discerning once upon a time, <laughs> so now I've, that's, you're done with. Um, the uh, discernment is something that only really is valuable in the moment, has its immediacy to it. You're discerning now, you look carefully now. Um, discerning here, when I mentioned to my wife this morning about discernment as a translation of wisdom, she said, she associated mostly, with someone who's discerning, she associates with someone who um, is uh, very picky about uh, things, especially about um, um, lux- lux- luxurious things for her. <laughs> um, you know, high quality things. But uh, here in, in Buddhism, having to be discerning is to be able to make distinctions um, between what is helpful and what is not. To actually see what is healthy and what is not if in terms of practice or a spiritual life. To see what's skillful and what's not skillful. And so that ability to discern, to, to separate to dis- out, is a very important part of practice that only you can do, that you have to be able to look at what's going on and be able to find your way between this, this binary kind of approach, what is helpful and what is not, what is skillful and what is not. What is, and, uh, and so you're constantly looking, you know, what is helpful here, what is helpful here. Um, and in that, in that regard, um, there was a time, especially in the 70s, I remember, that a common translation of prajna into English was discriminatory wisdom. So it wasn't just any kind of wisdom. It was the wisdom that was able to discriminate, um, but not, you know, know, prejudice kind of discrimination, but rather this kind of ability to um, differentiate between things and see clearly what's going on. And part of the function of mindfulness practice is to help us with wisdom. In fact, uh, there's a very... uh, uh, wisdom, I mean, mindfulness, as the way it's described in the texts, classic texts, it's almost like it gets mixed in or overlaps or entangled with wisdom. That wisdom is almost part of what mindfulness is. And so, uh, and so part of the function of mindfulness, the way that it helps wisdom, is that mindfulness helps us to see much more clearly what's going on in greater detail. And as we see more clearly... Uh, we, uh, we can differentiate between different things. 
And also we can, um, one of the things we differentiate, or we can see clearly and then help us with differentiation, is to see uh, in much more minute areas the choices we have, the choices we're, we're making. If you, don't, if you don't see the choices you make, then you have no choice. Then you're kind of like, you know, operating on automatic pilot or other forces are, are taking over. But if you can actually slow down enough and be mindful enough to see how your mind is choosing different options and as you go forward, then if you see it, then you maybe have greater capacity to choose something different, to be wiser about it. So discernment, the ability to choose more, more carefully. Um, now in terms of the paramis, these perfections, uh, it's not wisdom about anything at all. It means, um, you, know, you can have lots of wisdom about things that have nothing to do with your practice. But uh, the paramis are those qualities that need to be developed or are supportive for the Dharma practice itself. And so it has a more limited domain of, of value and, or, or, or a scope, scope of what it's about. And, and in particular for the paramis, the way the paramis are presented to us down through the ages is that it has to do with two things. It has to do with those qualities inside that are, support us in becoming liberated, liberated from suffering, liberated from clinging. And those qualities inside us that are supportive or helpful for us as we engage in the world in a compassionate way, with our compassion. It happens that these ten qualities, the paramis, uh, support both. They both support our own liberation and it supports our compassion and concern for the world. So that's very convenient. I mean, if, it was, if it was two separate lists of ten, we'd, we'd have to be twice as busy. But we can, just develop, we can just develop these ten and it supports both, you know, both directions. And so if you're only interested in one of the two, liberation rather than compassion, or compassion rather than liberation, it's kind of nice because you develop these ten qualities and kind of you get the other as a kind of, hopefully as a side effect. So today uh, we're going to spend some time looking at uh, wisdom and liberation and sometimes uh, uh, a little bit uh, on compassion and liberation. Um, So, um, that's the introduction. So what I'd like to do now is to have you um, spend the next uh, about half an hour or so for you having a discussion among yourselves on this topic so you can get into it, get warmed up on the topic. And, um, and then we'll take a break. So hopefully, in terms of bladders, that y- you know what's going on. Your bladder knows now. Um, so, um, so what's going to happen here is I'm going to offer you a question uh, to uh, discuss first in pairs. So you find someone you sit with. And then after a while, I will uh, ring a bell and, uh, to stop that discussion. And then, um, you, uh, then I want you to form groups of four, and then in that groups of four, the two of you have joined another pair, and then uh, another uh, dis- topic or discussion among the group of four. And, um, and what I'd like to recommend is that um, uh, we'll do this about four or five minutes. Each of you will have four or five minutes in your pair to just talk about this topic, kind of like, kind of like a monologue. The function of the other person is primarily just to listen. If occasionally you, you want to ask a question for, you know, just seems to be, not a leading question, like you have something like, you should know this. <laughs> but, uh, but a question that kind of get more clarification, help the person go take it one step further or something, then you can ask a few questions as you go along as a listener, but primarily a listener just listens. So, supportive listener. So for four or five minutes, then um, I want you to exp- uh, explore uh, or answer the question, how important or in what way, as I say this way, in what way is liberation important for you? In what way is liberation, Buddhist liberation, what Buddhism mean by liberation, what way is that important for you? 
How is it important for you? Is it important for you? You know, you know how important is it for you in, this, in the list of other things which are important for you in your life? You know, what's the role and importance of liberation for you? Does that make sense? And what I mean by yeah, well, you've been around the scene long enough. It's uh, I like to leave it vague. I'd like to leave it vague so you find your way in the question. I don't want to define it for you, but to actually have you have your sense of what, in the terms of Dharma practice, what liberation means for you, and that would be the, the how you would come forth with your answer, rather than me telling you that it only means this and nothing else but this, and you better <laughs> answer the question this way. <laughs> Does it make sense? So there will be a range of responses to what liberation means in here in terms of practice and all this, and I want to give you each, let it come out of that. And some of you, the word liberation might not have been a word that you have been an important part of your practice at this point, but if that's the case, um, uh, maybe that's part of the discussion, you know, why that is or how that is, and see what comes up. There's a question that's kind of meant to be kind of open-ended for you to explore. The other thing about these kind of, this, this monologue kind of thing is you're not speaking for the sake of your listener. You're not informing them about anything. You know, it's not there. It's really, you're speaking as a form of pers- self ex- self-exploration. And you're trying to, out loud, explore this topic, explore, explore this, and f- come to f- find your way into new ways. It's almost like you're questioning yourself. You know, what, is, what can I learn? How can I go further? What can I... How can I challenge myself to look in new areas around this topic? And uh, some people, occasionally, when we do this kind of dyad, some people even will close their eyes. So it's really an inner personal exploration and not sidetracked or distracted by the fact that someone is listening. Um, so it's not for the sake of the listener. So it means if you're telling a long story, that you know the story really well, um, you know, then you're probably telling it for the sake of the listener. So kind of get, you know, Get to the conclusion quickly so you can move it, move it to a new level. And don't worry if you don't make sense because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. You're not doing it for the listener. And um, so it'll be about four or five minutes or so. Uh, I'll ring a bell when it's time to switch. And then uh, I'll, I'll ask you to be quiet for a moment and then you'll switch. And then uh, after you've done both, both people, then we will, um, I'll offer you the next question. Make sense? So, um, why don't you, uh, uh, don't move for a moment until I finish speaking. So, why don't you find, find a some partner you can sit with. You can spread out. Uh, it's nice to maybe go take a chair and go to the outer hall or the conference room there. You, someone can go in the library. Just so we're not all kind of bunched up in here. And it's not, so, you know, hearing other people's discussions too. Um, and also... Um, as you, as you do it, as you turn now towards someone to be with, um, if, you, if someone doesn't find someone quickly near you, why don't you walk towards the front here? And maybe you'll find each other as you walk to the front. And, um, and if there's one person left over, we'll help that person. So, please. So... Um, Thank you. So now uh, I'd like to ask you in silence to uh, hook up with another pair and sit in groups of four. And if there is an odd, odd group of two, then why don't you stand and uh, I'll come and help you. So, um, so in this uh, discussion, um, uh, I'd like to kind of you just go around in a circle, and each of you take a turn to speak, and uh, and not to hold forth for a long time. So just a re- actually a relatively brief statement of a couple of sentences or something, um, and um, and uh, and then go around. And as you do this, go around. You kind of inform each other, learn from each other. What you hear from the other people will stimulate you and to think in new ways. And, and it might be an interesting group process to explore this topic um, and this kind of going around in a circle this way for a while. And um, um, so the topic is, 
the question is, what wisdom do you have about becoming free of suffering? What wisdom do you have about liberation from suffering? And uh, you might start, even start off saying, because it's very wise to know you don't know anything. You can say, you can say I don't have a clue. <laughs> and that's your beginning of the exploration. So what wisdom do you have about, libera- what wisdom do you have about liberation? About liberation from suffering? Or, and uh, just kind of go around and offer into the circle, your circle, your little perspective. And, um, and then hear what other people say. And when it comes back to you, offer your next reflection and see what bubbles up inside of you as you do this process. So please start. So we can have maybe a a few comments about what came up for you, what it was like for you to uh, do uh, these rounds of discussions. Inez and I were not part of your conversation, so we don't know what happened. Be nice to hear a little bit from you. Um, it was amazing to find out how much wisdom four people <laughs> who didn't think they had any wisdom really had when we pooled it all. And behind you. It was just lovely listening to everyone. It really was. It was just wonderful. Um, there was a great sense of, oh, yes, you know, there was this great joy in hearing um, their wisdom. Um, one of the things that came up was, um, as we were talking, many of us realized we uh, the things that we feel wise about were things that we did as children that we stopped doing in our relearning. Wow, great, beautiful. I recognize it was a never-endless list of questions that actually kept opening up in our discussion. Beautiful. One of the ways to be wise is to have questions. Here, Nancy. Is, this, is it on? Okay. Um, so I think uh, one of the most uh, wonderful things for me in the group was, um, as I heard people's experience, is realizing that liberation is not a one-time deal. <laughs> That it's um, it's the little successes. Great, little successes. Okay, so what last one for Mary? It was a good experience, but also I know whenever I get to talking about this topic, there's always I feel this like inner grasping, like oh, good liberation. So it. You know, a little edge there for me. Some, something to be liberated from. <laughs> Thank you. So what I'd like to ask you now is we'll take a break for 15 minutes until uh, 5 after 10. And we'd like to do that break in silence for a particular reason. And uh, that reason, uh, I mean, the reason for what we're going to do, I'll talk about after the break. And... Um, uh, but what you have to do during the break, at this point, I have to ask you to trust me and cooperate. <laughs> and then afterwards, I'll explain what, what it's all about. So um, I would like you to pick up one of these green sheets. It's the, you know, every, every month I, we pass out these quotes of, about the topic. And this is the quote list. And it has, um, f- uh, four of the quotes are numbered, one to four. And... Um, and in a little bit, you're going to be assigned a number. And that's your number. That's your, that's your quote. It's a poem from the Dhammapada, a little verse, short little verse. And during the break, I would like you to memorize it. 
That's your task. That's why we want to have the silence so you can engage in that process. Okay? So what I'd like to do is to have you count off one to four and just go around the room. And that, whatever n- your number is, that's your number for the verse you're going to find here. Okay, so I hope you were able to memorize your poem. And if you didn't memorize it, I hope that uh, just the very effort to do so meant you engaged in in the the idea of your particular poem. And um, now three quarters of the people here have a different poem than you, but a quarter of people here have the same. So um, <clears throat> how this relates to wisdom is that the, in, the, in the, uh, our tradition there is a distinction between three kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom that comes from <clears throat> learning, there's the wisdom that comes from reflection, and the wisdom that comes from practice. And um, the uh, wisdom that comes from Learning, we say learning, but the literal uh, Pali word is uh, sutta. It's a different, not sut, not sut, sutta with two T's is the discourse of the Buddha. Sutta with one T means to hear. It's the wisdom that comes from hearing. Because back in the time of the Buddha, they didn't have books and, um, or computers, to, internet to check out. <clears throat> So they, um, everything came orally. Someone had memorized certain texts, certain teachings, and then uh, they would hear it being recited. Um, and then you'd, you'd memorize it, perhaps, and then you would pass it on to the next generation. Many of the teachings were, you, you know, were transmitted that way. In other words, you know, it was the early version of e-books. <laughs> you know, the virtual books that passed through my mind to mind. And, um, and uh, so there was that important part of the wisdom was that what you would learn. But also what was important was then you take in what you've learned and you took it in kind of deeply if you memorized it. And then you would reflect on it, <clears throat> engage in it in a reflective way where you question it, you, look, you apply it in different areas, how is this useful, you question it. You do a variety of things you do with that, that teaching. And that's part of this process of making it personal. Does it really apply to me? How does it apply? How can I make this a valuable teaching for me? Uh, what questions does it elicit for me? Uh, in what ways does it challenge me? Uh, what, you know, to explore it. And then the last one is to practice with something. Um, and you, from your own practice, your own uh, engagement with the path, you develop your own wisdom, your own insight, your own discernment that, uh, that matures and develops through practice itself. And then it becomes your own in a much deeper way than even by reflection. Reflection is still a little bit, you know, it's, it can be quite deep, but <clears throat> it's more conceptual, perhaps. Um, practice is how you've been changed and transformed by, the, by it. And so what wisdom comes from your transformation is, you know. What's nice about this is that these three different areas are integrated into a whole. Uh, sometimes you find people... Um, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, dismissing parts of these as not being important. There's a very strong tendency for people to think that practice is really where it's all at, and learning and memorizing and ideas, that's not so important. Or there's some people who only do that and think, well, you know, what can I possibly learn from practice? I mean, practice, you know, I sit there and it's kind of boring, it's just my, me and my breath. And uh, what's that going to do for anybody? You know, I'm much more interesting to read these, these great Dharma books. I mean, it's fantastic. You can't believe the profundity of wisdom in these books. And I've feel so wise and inspired and, you know, so close to the brink of enlightenment when I read these books. <laughs> and, and, and sitting here with my breath, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, pales in, pales in significance. <clears throat> and um, so then people don't practice, you know. Um, but really, I think the idea is to integrate these and have these work together. It's an important thing. I think that makes for a balanced practice when you spend time studying, spend time with real serious reflection and spend time real practicing and those things go together. So uh, the first one, the wisdom that comes through 
listening through studying you just did. We had, you just had a little taste of it, that memorizing your piece. And now I'd like you to do uh, the second piece, which is um, uh, the wisdom of reflection. And, uh, and the way you're going to do that is you're going to re- reflect together in a group. And um, so I'd like you to form groups of three or four people who have the same poem as you. And together, I want you to milk that poem for all the wisdom it's worth. Yeah, well, well you can't. There's an infinite reservoir of wisdom in each poem. There's no shortage. You can't, you can't get, you know, exhaust it. It all depends on how you engage it and the questions you bring and how you apply it. And, you know, but there's an infinite reservoir of wisdom in each poem. That's for sure. If you think, if you, if you, after two minutes you're finished, you know, something is not quite working here. So we're not trying to milk it for skin milk? <laughs> you're going, but you're going, you're going for the cream. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> but we're content with that, you know, if it comes out the way it comes out. So... Um, and so, um, you know, to have a discussion, and it's important in these discussions that you share in the discussion. You don't have one person who dominates the discussion, and, but everyone, you, sh- you should all be sensitive to how much you're talking and that you're contrib- both contributing, but also not filling the space too much so that other people don't have a chance. And um, so, um, uh, I'm not sure how the best way is to find your, your tribe, but uh, so many people, I think. Um, so for the people sitting kind of over here, this kind of third of the room or quarter of the room, the people who have poem number one, can you raise your hand? And the, okay, so why don't you, I see like six, I see, let's see, uh, I see, so one, two, two, three, four. The four of you are a group. People with, with poem two, one, two, three, four are a group. So, you're given a number, right? But the, but the piece of paper did, didn't have anything to do with the number. It did. See, the, po- the poems here had one, two, three, four. That's the one you were supposed to memorize, right? Okay, so three. So one, two, three, four, and then four. One, two, three, four. Okay. Uh, so now that you've uh, all finished uh, milking these uh, little poems, um, we want the cream. <laughs> um, so we'd like to hear you hear from you um, just a little something about uh, how that was and what you learned. So from each of the, it'd be nice to hear from some of the groups. How about if we start with the number one group? And that way, what I'll do is I'll read the, uh, I'll read the poem, and then um, uh, some of you from the different number ones can share. Uh, can share. So uh, a fool, conscious of her foolishness, is to that extent wise. But a fool who considers himself wise is the one to be called a fool. So, so who'd like to share from the number one? So, if you could pass that on, thank Well, the problem was is that I, I didn't I wasn't in agreement with what he said, so 
Um, so I wanted him to. Anyway, the, 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 so here's here's the problem. The the, the um, you know if I have an unwise behavior, and um, so my you know can you judge me as can you be wiser than me, and judge me judge the behavior as being unwise because you think you know. Great. That's a so that, that's a great sharing. We don't have to answer that now, but that's a great question to come out of the discussion. That's wise. I thought so. I can't uh, speak for the entire group, but I'll, you know, uh, join in. Uh, we had some discussion about whether or not foolishness was a human condition that we all have, and, and that is fairly permanent, so that the issue is <laughs> that, and, and we, we used other words like delusion and uh, as a kind of synonymously, and that the, the um, I, don't, I don't put the wrong word, inherent challenge, but the, uh, is to just stay aware of one's own foolishness. So that was one point that came up. Another point came up was the positive uh, benefits of being able to be foolish. Because if you can never be foolish, your life is very constricted. You've got to watch everything you do or say. Um, what else was there? Yeah. Um, I, maybe that was the whole summary. So, so I'm just curious, you know, with mindfulness, you do watch everything you do or say, and it's not, it doesn't have to be constrictive. Right. We, yeah. we, I, that's what the other yeah. thing we talked about, yeah. is that sometimes you can be intentionally foolishness, as in being silly or playful, um, and then other times you are foolish without really being aware of it. And we also, there, another point that came up right at the end of our discussion is that you could be simultaneously wise and foolish. Great, thank you. Anyone else from number one? One more? Okay, on to number two. Uh, so, uh, how about if somebody else reads number two? I'll read it. Great. Mic microphone. Yeah. Like someone pointing to treasure is the wise person who sees your faults and points them out. Associate with such a sage. So who would like to talk about that one? Report on that one? There's Marilyn. Well, we had a lot of mixed feelings about that one, negative as well as positive. And then and we also um, negatives, because you know who who should be pointing out your faults and and reactions to that. But then we so of all different sorts. But then we also saw that as reframing the negative fault and looking at it as an opportunity for growth. So so it was it was interesting to hear the different perspectives. So the the. Um question is to your, uh, the, the poem refers to how we receive the criticism, not so much as uh, when you should be giving it. Uh, right, that, that's how we took it, that yeah. somebody's pointing out our problems, and, and so sometimes we have an immediate negative reaction to that. I'm going to bring up a point someone else in our group made. Uh, um, what was the point? <laughs> uh, foolishness. Um, about being criticized, and 
even the person in the group made the point of a parent being critical. Um, but I, I also, I'm going to translate this into self-criticism. Uh, being critical is not always, uh, and even finding faults. Um, there's a lot to that. And I, I know from my own experience, I wasn't necessarily taught how to find who's a wise person or how to discern what is wisdom, uh, what, what is uh, healthy self-assessment sometimes is something I'm kind of exploring. And um, so this bring this stanza brings up some ideas around that, around knowing how to even assess criticism as being useful or, or not useful. So it's challenging. You know, one thing, one thing I'd like to say is like even if um, criticism isn't done completely from a pure motive, you know, sometimes people have agendas when they criticize, um, still if you, you can still learn from that. You can still question it, you know, if they're criticizing and what they're saying isn't true, it, does, it, does, it doesn't ever hurt you to actually question it. Well, is it true? Um, you know, you still have to come up with your own understanding of the situation. So, um, and one other thing I, I want to say, you know, um, in terms of, you know, what we're doing here, it's a, such a safe place. Everybody here has, you know, I think we're all here to really take care of each other in this really wonderful way when we uh, do these dyads. And um, when we criticize others in our life, you know, uh, one of the things that I really hold very, very dear is to have an agreement with my friend that we can do this with each other. You know, and unless I have that agreement, that sense of, yes, it's okay to, to say these very deep, maybe painful things to each other, you know, to, to withhold that. Um, um, so anyone? Yes, Ed. I'm not in that group. Yeah, yeah. When I was hearing the discussion now, I thought of um, something that Gil has said a lot. I'm going to apply to that is like um, when you, you know, if you can only be liberated when things are going well, then you're not really liberated. And I guess what I'm saying is, I, you know, choosing to associate with a, such a sage, then, um, you know, that's probably a good way to liberate liberate yourself. Is to, you know, if you can't if you can be liberated with such a sage, then you truly are liberated. Uh, anyone else number two? One over here. I'm not sure if I should utter this or not. <laughs> um, no, it's making a joke on milking it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a couple things that personally really came up for me around this and sitting in our group, and I, and I think one was there's this, this personal criticism that comes from all this in, in our history and past, and I don't want to be wrong, and then who's this person that can be very disillusional that's saying something to me? And there's, it's actually a personal thing in a family if somebody wants to say something to me that won't say it to me, only through someone else that I feel is very delusional. And I'm noticing that wanting to push away, but I also have this huge open heart and pain for what they've gone through in their whole life. And this is their perceptions of how they're saying things. And, and I tried to then, as I kept saying this over and over to myself during the break, and I, it feels like I cracked an egg open and I said, instead of taking this so literally, what is happening for me and what am I seeing here? And, and as I shared, as I listened to the group, someone pointing to the treasure as the wise person, well, the wise person could actually be me who's hearing what's happening from the other side because I'm willing to listen to whatever it is that's coming at me, whether it's the manure or the good stuff, I'm willing to listen so then I'm the wise person actually then getting to choose that everything that comes towards me is a treasure. There is nothing that is not a treasure. And then when I say who sees faults and points them out, associate with such a sage, and I was standing outside and I was seeing the whole world and I said, sage isn't a man with a long beard on the mountain. It's the trees, it's the grass, it's every person in this room is a sage. And so sage is all universal existence. And so my willingness to be and live a life to then means 
I am always going to constantly have the world coming back at me, asking me to look at it. Are my actions skillful or not? Am I liberating myself? Am I separating myself? So instead of it being broken down as individuals, it's actually the treasures I'm choosing to be in life, not lock myself in a room, to open up my mind and my head to see more, to see that I have the ability to always learn and always to grow, and that the sage is all of life in every moment and every breath, how it's hitting me, and my choice is how I'm going to respond to it. Great, thank you. Um, so, uh, could somebody read number three? Well, actually, I'm going to say it. One is not wise, only be. <laughs> How quickly they forget. One is not wise, only because one speaks a lot. One who is peaceful, without hate, and fearless is said to be wise. So who'd like not to say anything about that one? <laughs> Did uh, someone raise their hand or no? Just stretching? Okay. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I'm saying this for myself rather than the group because I think we had slightly different ways of looking at it, but what strikes me about that one is the um, the balance of the fearlessness with the peacefulness and the without hate that all seemed a very freeing combination of qualities. Great. Uh, someone else on number three? Press it again. Okay, got it. Um, for me, what came up is um, thinking about what does it mean to be without hate? And thank you. And one more on this, Peter, last one. So um, we, we thought that um, there's really no relationship between speaking a lot and wisdom. <laughs> you can be wise and not speak a lot or wise and speak a lot. But there is a certain amount of caution here because a lot of powerful people speak a lot and they aren't necessarily wise. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'd like someone to read number four. You've got someone who memorized it. Straight back, Peter. Deborah. All things are impermanent. Seeing this with wisdom. One becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. So who'd like to tackle that one? Go ahead. Mention that the first thing that came up in our group was the word disenchanted and how we become enchanted and disenchanted with suffering. We thought that was an interesting um, thing to talk about and a concept. And then the, one of the other, there was a number of things, but um, we talked about the meaning of the word purity also. What is that? And the negative and positive connotations of that, how, how to relate to that. So someone else? Some of, the, some of the same issues. Um, but the word disenchanted was 
really a wonderful word for all of us in that it focused us on how much responsibility we needed to take for our enchantment with our own suffering and how we had to find a way to de-link from that kind of clinging to our own suffering. I don't know. Um, and then we all had a problem with purity as well, which we took back to all of us were from Christian backgrounds and felt that purity had been used as a, uh, a kind of weapon against us, in a sense. So we you know, kind of worked through uh, to a place where we decided to reclaim the word purity <laughs> Great. and make it work for us. So. You purified it. We did. <laughs> Great. Someone else on this one. One more person. Yes. Um, we were also talking about how when we realize, help ourselves realize that things are impermanent, remind ourselves of this, that uh, it seems like it, it gets easier to, to get loosened from being enchanted with. And one example was... Um, uh, expectations that we have for how things should be or how other people how we want other people to be um, uh, to see that those are just mental formations and and they're not anything real and it helps um, uh, and that they they change so much helps me just to to let them go Thank you. <clears throat> and um, so Gil's going to uh, lead a guided meditation. So this will be about probably about 10 minutes or so, short meditation. And so what we've done so far is we've done the Wisdom coming from learning, wisdom coming from reflection, which was this last, and now we'll do a little piece on wisdom from practice. And um, as preparation for this, take a good meditation posture, and you might want to have your poem in front of you, you, and um, just so it's easy to see if you need it. And then, before I kind of do the kind of guided part of this meditation, maybe with your eyes closed, see if you can manage to silently recite the poem to yourself. And if you don't remember all of it, that's where you can look at the piece of paper just to remember it. Recite it once or twice here in the silence. of your poem and closing your eyes and and taking a few moments first to check in with yourself, noticing what parts of your body feel activated or energized. What parts of your body are not activated or energized? Feeling your body, perhaps feeling the weight or the substance of your body. And within this body of yours, taking a few long, slow, deep breaths as you breathe in to feel a stronger connectedness to your body, a presence in your body, 
reminder of your body. And as you breathe out, settle in, relax, soften your body. Breathing in deeply and as you exhale, see if you can soften your mind, let go of your thoughts and concerns in favor of settling into your body. And then letting your breath return to normal. And see if you can be calm about breathing. And calmly, easily feel the experience of breathing, but not just to feel it, but to feel the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out the changes in your body as you breathe in, as you breathe out. Like a wave that might gently break across the shore. So gently the breathing moves through your body. And perhaps allow the rhythm of breathing to help Quiet the mind, calm you down. Seeing if you could find some hint of peacefulness, of being peaceful within, some hint of being calm or settled within. Perhaps a felt sense in your body, a physical experience or place where something like peacefulness or calm resides within you. And gently let the waves of breathing wash through that part of you, spreading the peacefulness, letting the calm become stronger. And also in your mind, see if you can find some hint in your mind of peacefulness or stillness or calm. Maybe the mind is thinking or agitated about something. It's okay. But see if you can look in the recesses of your mind for an experience or a sense of peace or calm. Stillness. And perhaps as you breathe, the rhythm of breathing is like gentle waves that wash through that place of mental peace or calm.
and then see if in the awareness that knows, the awareness that's aware of breath or mind or body, see if there's any hint of peacefulness or calm in being aware. some hint of stillness in awareness itself. then taking as a reference point some hint of peacefulness, calmness, settledness, or stillness, whatever way that you can evoke it or maybe remember some time in your life when you felt particularly strongly, a sense of calm or peacefulness. From the vantage point of peace or calm, your experience of it, reflect a little bit now about the value of your poem, the wisdom of your poem. (coughs) From the vantage point of calm or peace, what wonderful wisdom or value does the poem point to? What way can you read the poem or recite the poem that helps you, help support your peace, your calm? And finally, what wisdom comes from your experience of peace or calm? What might be the wisdom that flows 
from being settled or still. sources of wisdom. There's the wisdom from learning. There's the wisdom from reflection, reflecting, thinking, contemplating. And there's the wisdom from practice, wisdom of practice. And all three of each, each of those is a whole universe of things to do. It's not like one simple way. But hopefully uh, you got a little taste of each this morning. A little taste also, this very short now of the practice side, trying to point you to the idea that, that as you change and shift in practice, as you might get some little more settled or more calm than you usually are, that's one of the sources of, of wisdom. You can reflect from that point of view, or there are certain understandings that come from that, or certain um, perspectives that come, or certain lessons that come from that a peaceful, calm place. And one, way is, one of the ways is to use that place to reflect back on the poem or some teaching you have. Or also just to, re- just to go into some, be in, a, be in a different little mode than you usually are, and then look at your life from that mode. Uh, what's your life look like if you're really, uh, really peaceful? What are your values and your priorities if you're in a peaceful place? Poss- chances are that your values and priorities would be different than if you're agitated. Maybe. So... So what's the wisdom that comes from practicing and the changes that come as you practice? So, that's the morning. So now we'll take an hour for lunch. And uh, it's particularly important that we start on time since we're already running late for our jam-packed schedule. Get the most wisdom into you and...